Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jamilin. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our continuation of our NBA positional ranking series, and today we're going to talk about our top 10 Eastern Conference small forwards. So, Jalen, who are your top 10 Eastern Conference small forwards? Ooh, so at number 10, I have Cam Reddish of the Atlanta Hawks. At number nine, I have Danny Green, now of the Philadelphia 76ers. At number eight, I have Otto Porter of the Chicago Bulls. At number seven, I have OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. At number six, I have TJ Warren of the Indiana Pacers. At number five, I have Gordon Hayward, now of the Charlotte Hornets. At number four, I have Chris Middleton of the Milwaukee Bucks. At number three, I have Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics. At number two, I have Jimmy Butler of the Miami Heat. And at number one, I have Kevin Durant of the Brooklyn Nets. So at number 10, I have Danny Green of the Philadelphia 76ers. Number nine, I have Otto Porter of the Chicago Bulls. Number eight, I have Cam Reddish of the Atlanta Hawks. Number seven, I have TJ Warren of the Indiana Pacers. Number six, I have OG Anunoby of the Toronto Raptors. Number five, I have Gordon Hayward of the Charlotte Hornets. Number four, I have Chris Middleton of the Milwaukee Bucks. Number three, I have Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics. Number two, I have Jimmy Butler of the Miami Heat. And number one, I have Kevin Durant of the Brooklyn Nets. So this one is pretty hilarious because we are pretty we are pretty even scale for the top five. Uh, Durant, Butler, Brown, Middleton, Hayward is both our top five. Where things get dicey, and I guess is the first place we should probably start down the list, is OG versus TJ. I have TJ over OG. You have OG over TJ. Um, I feel like this was a little bit of a coin flip. Uh, make your argument for OG Ananobi over TJ Warren at number six. I guess out of what I saw from TJ Warren, I'm going to hope it's not a fluke because what we saw in the bubble was TJ Warren being maybe the most unstoppable player outside of Devin Booker and Damian Lillard in the bubble and arguably could have won the bubble MVP. And I think that TJ Warren has always been a consistent NBA scorer. He had one of his best seasons last year. He averaged almost 20 points a game and shot 54% from the field and 40% from three. Obviously, I think that with those types of numbers, I think they warrant him being in, in the top 10 conversation. I think if TJ Warren keeps this up, I think he will eventually be a top five small forward. In terms of OG, I think he's one of the rising small forwards, given how much of a role that he has played in Toronto's offense this year, given the the loss of Kawhi Leonard. I think he's taken a much bigger step in terms of his career. I think this year he's going to take another step toward growing into a viable third option for this Toronto Raptors team that is loaded with a lot of scorers 
Of course, Fred Van Vliet, we've mentioned in the past, is a solid three-point shooter. Kyle Lowry is great in the mid-range. He's also a, a solid defender. I think OG, his time, I think his time to step up is now. And I think that he's going to take a much larger role, like I said, in the Toronto offense. And see, that's why I thought it was such a toss-up. And honestly, like looking back at my list, I kind of would not be mad at putting OG over TJ Warren just because of something I said on the past list about favoring defense. And OG Ananobi is easily a guy who we could argue could average about three to four steals per game in his sleep. Uh, just because of his defensive acumen, um, the way he plays team defense specifically, and the fact that he is a relatively good one-on-one defender as well. So I think you could argue for OG. I think my biggest thing with TJ is I also, as much as I favor defense, I also favor the underrated player a bit more, which is why I'm so high on guys like D-Book, high on guys like uh, Drew Holiday, um, guys of that ilk. And TJ Warren was a guy similar to D book actually stuffed in Phoenix. And because he was not in a nationally spotlight, um, national spotlight based situation, um, we didn't really pay attention to the fact that he was potentially a six man of the year candidate every year that he was in Phoenix. He was a near 20 point per game score, if not a 20 point per game score playing off the bench for Phoenix for the longest. And he, he gave you relatively consistent numbers to those while in Indiana. And I do think that the bubble thing was a flash in the pan. I'm just going to be honest and go on the record to say it because I felt like he didn't show up in the playoffs with the same kind of energy. Granted, he was playing against a very vaunted Miami Heat defense in the first round. Um, and I definitely don't think he was a part of the better team in that series. But at the same time, at the same time, I do still feel as though TJ Warren is a, a really good overall offensive scorer. I think the biggest thing to take into consideration and one could argue that Pascal Siakam took this relatively well. And your hope is that OG Ananobi will do it as well is when thrusted into a larger role offensively, which is what's going to be asked of him, especially with the fact that Serge Ibaka and Marcus have both departed. I think picking up Aaron Baines was huge, but I think especially with the fact that those two in particular departed for the two LA teams, OG's going to be asked to produce more on the offensive end. Now, I think he can hold up on the defensive end consistent with what he's already done. But can he step up to the plate and be more of an offensive option? We've seen him hit big shots in the playoffs. We've seen him um, do well in the bubble. We, we, we kind of get an inkling that the Toronto buildup has him going in a positive direction. Um. And I think that's why you could argue that he's at number six. Like I said before, and I think that TJ Warren has just been more consistent. And I wouldn't say that TJ's offense is significantly better than what OG provides defensively, but it is a bit better than what OG provides defensively. And then I think when it comes to a defense versus OG's uh, defense for TJ versus OG's offense, I think they're relatively comparable which is what makes me feel as though TJ is the better overall player. But I think it is a little bit debatable. One thing that I do want to kind of touch on too, though, is you're very high on OG developing, but you're low-key, at least in comparison to me, low-key even higher on Cam Reddish developing. So what is it with you? Not Maybe you can continue to expand on OG if you'd like, but what is what is it with you and these young guys specifically in terms of OG and Reddish who both – I guess you seem to see a very significant, you know, uptick in both of these guys coming up this next year. 
Well, I think it's because both of them are going to have larger roles on the offense. I mentioned with OG how much of a, a leap he could take possibly in terms of scoring and being a larger part in the Toronto offense. I say the same thing with Cam Reddish. Now, like I mentioned with the ESPN Top 100 episode, these are just projections that I have. Hopefully, OG and Cam Reddish can average at least 15 points a game. But I think that their involvement in the offensive scheme for both of their teams is going to play a huge part in how the team produces on the offensive side because given that Toronto has Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam, Atlanta has Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Rajon Rondo, Danilo Gallinari, a load of offensive weapons. So I think it's more or less how OG and Cam Reddish are able to find their place in the offensive scheme and how they're able to produce so I guess my follow-up to that would just be the fact that when it comes to Porter and it comes to Danny Green are we at the are we at the point with these two where they're no longer true three and d wings and they're more of spot up three-point shooters that are relatively well on the defensive end, but not necessarily world beaters defensively like some of the guys in the new guard like Robert Covington who kind of embody what a true traditional 3 and D wing are because it looks like you bumped both of these guys down. I can understand Otto Porter to a certain extent. He's coming off of an injury where he played, where he didn't play for most of last season. And I can kind of understand Danny Green considering the kind of offseason he had. But I think that you could argue that although maybe they both potentially fell off a tick in terms of what their three-point ability is, I do, I, I think overall within the scheme of things, they're not maybe the top-level one-on-one defenders that maybe a Robert Covington is, who I feel like is kind of the standard for a 3 and D wing nowadays, maybe even a Mikhail Bridges, um, who is kind of coming into that ilk himself in the Western Conference. But... I think they're guys who still shoot the three relatively well. I think Otto Porter, who went healthy, I think you could argue, is somebody you can argue um, is the second best offensive weapon on the Chicago Bulls uh, next to Zach Levine. Some may, may argue Kobe White. I think it's rel- uh, relatively something worth debating on. Um, and Danny Green, that one, I think I, I think I get you a little bit more on, though. That one, I think I get you a little bit more on. I think you could definitely interchange him and Cam Reddish. What, what are you expecting out of Cam specifically? Because this is a guy who I've raved on a lot um, as of late in terms of especially looking at his per-month stats as being a guy right before the NBA cancellation. For the month, he was averaging 14.8 per, um, points per game, and he was shooting relatively above 50% from the floor. So – what is what kind of leap do you see from Cam? Do you think 14.8 points is something he can average on the season? Do you think he might be a little bit better than even that? Like, what is your overall expectation for him in Atlanta? Well, given he's a second-year player, I'm not expecting a huge leap. He averaged just under 11 points a game last year. And you mentioned one of the reasons – well, really one of the reasons why I put him as high as I did at number eight is because of the fact that he really progressed late in the season. He became an option for them on the floor in terms of scoring. And 
I kind of expect them to take that same role, even with the acquisition of guys like Bogdan Bogdanovich and Danilo Gallinari. I just think that with Cam Reddish, I'm expecting him to put up at least 15 a game. You mentioned he averaged 14.8 points a game for the month. So I'm expecting him to put up those types of numbers all year. And I think he has the ability to do that. We saw flashes of how good he can be at Duke. And I think that when he plays for Atlanta, I think that we can see some of the same flashes of potential that we saw at Duke. In terms of Otto Porter and Danny Green, for Otto Porter, it's about staying healthy. I think when he's healthy, yes, you're right. He is one of the best 3 and D wings in the league, and it's no question about it. But he hasn't played more than 70 games since 2017. I think that if he can stay healthy, like I said, one of the best 3 and D wings. In terms of Danny Green, Jalen, you and I are not the biggest fans of Danny Green, especially what we saw last year. And I'll be honest with you, I was contemplating on putting him on this list. But I still believe in Danny Green. I still think that there's a chance that he can come back, he can score at least 12 a game, he can shoot at least 33% from three, he can average close to 40% from the field. He's still that type of guy. He can still shoot the three. But I'm intrigued to see how he rebounds, though. I have him at number 10 because he's going to be another viable option on this Philadelphia 76ers team that needs help. They need scorers. And they got a scorer in Danny Green. I think maybe he could have a great year this year. Maybe he could be one of the most efficient three-point shooters in the league. Maybe he could lead the league in steals. I'm intrigued to see what happens this year with Danny Green. And I mean, speaking of rebounding, I'm just going to go down our top five one more time and kind of draw out where every player in this top five is coming from. Kevin Durant is rebounding from a season-ending Achilles injury that is going to be bringing him back for the first time in a while NBA standards wise, considering that this season is also st- starting significantly later than most would anticipate earlier in consideration to when the bubble and the bubble playoffs ended, but later in terms of typical NBA standards, Jimmy Butler is rebounding from an NBA finals loss um, against the LA Lakers in a circumstance where he lost their second leading scorer. And they did not have Bam Adebayo, who was easily one of the most impactful players in the NBA during the bubble um, for the first two games of the series. Jalen Brown is coming off of a series against the same Miami Heat team for the Boston Celtics as an underachieving Celtics team that we kind of anticipated under the bubble circumstances was going to be the team representing the Eastern Conference. Chris Middleton is in a circumstance where he was the only heartbeat for the Milwaukee Bucks after a guy in Giannis Antetokounmpo, who recently just signed his five-year max extension, um, was the only thing living and breathing offensively for this Bucks team that definitely underachieved considering the circumstances that they were under. And Gordon Hayward is another guy similar to Kevin Durant rebounding from an injury that not only put him out for a significant amount of the year, but also even limited his time in the NBA bubble when he came back. So, Ryan, with these guys all coming back from something, 
do you feel as though we may have overrated any of these guys in terms of what the circumstances are from what we've seen? Kevin Durant and Hayward are both coming off of injuries, yet we've got them both in the top five. We've got Durant at number one coming off of an injury over Jimmy Butler, who's a guy who you could arguably say was the you know NBA Finals MVP even as part of the losing team, he was a guy who could have easily been top three in that discussion, even as a losing, even in a losing effort. Jalen Brown and Middleton are both coming off of very underwhelming performances in the playoffs. Are there any of these guys who you think we may have overrated, or do you think these guys are in a perfect position? And even if you think they are in a perfect position, who is somebody who you think could potentially drop out of this top five by the end of this year? To answer both of your questions, I will say it's Gordon Hayward in terms of him being slightly overrated and possibly falling out of the top five. I think he's realistically the only player that will fall out of the top five. Gordon Hayward signed a four-year deal with Charlotte. Coming off of a couple of injuries in Boston, I understand that he's a guy who averages 17 points a game, shoots 50% from the field, 38% from three, averages six rebounds. Jalen, he has not been able to stay healthy. And, I mean, looking at some of his best stats in Utah, I don't think he's ever going to be the same player. I mean, he averaged close to 22 points a game and five rebounds in his best season at Utah. That was in 2016. And then looking at the Celtics, he was out in 2017. He averaged close to 12 points a game and four and a half rebounds in 2018, the first year that he came back. And then this past season, I feel like he's starting to get back together, averaging 17 and a half points a game, close to seven rebounds, shooting 50% from the floor, 38% from the field. I feel like he's starting to get back together, but there's always this thought in the back of my mind that thinks that Gordon Hayward is not going to be the same player that he once was. And maybe it's injuries. Maybe it's the fact that he's not producing as much on the court in terms of scoring, not in terms of efficiency, but like I said, in terms of scoring. But I'm kind of worried that he's not going to get as much playing time on a Charlotte team that's, pretty much just trying to stick to their young core. I mean, it looks like he will probably start for either P.J. Washington or Miles Bridges, which really doesn't make any sense because of the fact that Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington seem like two guys who could have breakout seasons this year. I just don't understand why you sign a guy for four years and over $100 million to have him sit on the bench. And, I mean, he might start. Realistically, he would most likely start at the three for Miles Bridges. But again, I have to wonder, Jalen, why do you sign a guy for four years if you're most likely concerned about his injury history, most likely concerned that he may not be able to produce, like I said, in terms of scoring, not in terms of efficiency? Why do you sign a guy for four years to have him sit on the bench? And I mean, I don't necessarily know if he's going to sit on the bench because of said deal that you referred to. But I think that the biggest thing to touch on is the fact that what you said about P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges is the fact that he's bringing in a guy like that, I feel like is potentially stunting growth. And it's so crazy 
that yet another young budding team in the Eastern Conference decides to let Gordon Hayward get in the way. I feel like the Boston Celtics did a very similar thing under very, not the same circumstances in terms of expectations, but definitely similar in terms of the fact that this is a team with young budding guys on the rise that could potentially take a next step, especially with getting guys um, like LaMelo Ball in the locker room that are willing to facilitate at a high clip and really willing to get other guys involved. And then you go ahead and bring in a guy like Gordon Hayward at a position that you know you have two guys between the three and the four and Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington slowly developing and we're showing off very good signs last year. So I think it's a really interesting set of circumstances overall in terms of what's going on with that. I really feel as though the big thing for me with Gordon Hayward, and I agree with you. I think he's the guy who potentially may be overrated in our in our groupings. And I do think he's the most likely to fall out out of the five guys that we have in the top five. My follow-up question to you with that would be this though. Who out of the bottom five that we had do you think will surmount him and take that fifth overall spot i think it's going to be og i think it's going to be og because i think that given the like i said before the significant role that he's going to have in the offense i think if we look back at pascal siakam's season he was one of the most improved players in the league when Kawhi leonard was there he was able to jump from most improved player to being one of the best power forwards in the league when Kawhi Leonard left. I'm kind of expecting that out of OG as well because he can be a top five small forward. He has the potential to be a top five small forward. I think that he's still developing as well. It's only going to be his fourth year in the league. If we're going off of what we saw in the bubble, I think he has a lot of promise as being one of the top five small forwards in the league. But Jalen, I have to be honest, I think that he has that capability. And I think that he's a guy who can overtake Gordon Hayward. I would say also the same thing for Cam Reddish, and I'll make the same argument. There's a chance that he could have a significantly larger role in the offense, even though guys like, like I mentioned, Danilo Gallinari, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Trey Young, they're most likely going to get a lot of playing time and a lot of buckets. Given what we've seen from OG Obi, I think there's a chance that he can make that improvement. And I think OG would definitely be like my 1B choice. My homer in me says that it's going to be Otto Porter Jr. just because of the fact that when healthy, he's extremely dangerous. Um, they've been in a circumstance right now recently, it was discussed in the news, that um, they're doing a bit of a role reversal in terms of him and Patrick Williams, where Patrick Williams is potentially going to be the starting three for us. And Otto Porter is going to be a guy who comes off the bench. Um, and it actually worked relatively well against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And Patrick Williams has been, been really sound as an offensive and defensive player. So you could argue that maybe even Patrick Williams is a guy who could potentially make this top 10 list instead of Otto Porter Jr. by the end of the year. But There's another argument that could be said that Otto Porter Jr., he shot three of seven from the floor with a quick eight points coming off the bench in that game. And he's a guy who he obviously didn't play big minutes in a preseason game considering the circumstances of him coming off of injury. But I think with him being healthy as one of the premier top three and D wings in the league, I think if he can get back to the level defensively that he was two seasons ago when he had a career year coming um. Two or three seasons ago when he had a career year with the Washington Wizards and 
then when was traded to the Bulls, also really had a really good um, 15 to 20 point outing with us or a 15 to 20 game outing with us that was really effective in terms of showing us a little bit of what he has to give and provide. I think that Otto Porter is a guy who, when healthy, arguably could be in this top five list because of the fact that he provides so much on both sides of the ball. But the reason why I feel like OG is the safest pick is also out of the fact that I think, unfortunately, Hayward and and Porter have the same concerns, which is what you were saying beforehand, which is, of course, you argue when healthy, definitely top five small forward in the Eastern Conference. But that little asterisk you have to put next to it is what makes you so concerned to put such a high upside on a guy like that when you know what his ability is, but you're not necessarily sure how long he's going to be on the court. So my, my heart says Porter Jr. out of the fact that Bulls fan that wants to see him come back off of injury and produce at a high level alongside um, guys like Patrick Williams that help him develop. But my head and the real NBA smarts in me says that OG Ananubi under the Toronto uh, development staff as a team that didn't let off the gas pedal last season, despite losing an all-star in Kawhi Leonard, I don't think is going to necessarily retract or refrain from the responsibilities that are given to him with Mark Gasol and Ibaka leaving. And I think he's actually going to rise to the occasion. And that makes me want to assume that OG is a guy who could step up big this year for a Toronto team that still is in the mix for a playoff for a playoff run. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, which of our bottom five players do you believe could take the biggest leap in their career? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get our podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.